Great to be here and good to see everyone's smiling faces. We're just going to share a few thoughts today about uh, not a, 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 a topic that's been spoken about many times, about making decisions, but more than just making decisions, about making decisions that please the Lord. And uh, we, we make decisions in a, every day of our life, but there are some real pivotal moments in our life where we've got to make the right decision. When you don't make the right decision, then our life is, uh, it changes shape and changes form. And, um, and there's some decisions that we make that uh, are irreversible, you know, when it comes um, to our life, you know. Um, even though God can heal us and God can set us free, there are some things that we don't want to be too lax about, we want to be responsible over. And so I wanted to start this talk um, in Matthew 26 about the garden. There's a time when Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane and, and the next day he would be actually crucified. And this was a pivotal moment for his life, but it was actually more pivotal for us. And, um, and how did the Lord deal with uh, making big decisions in his life? And are we, we know there are two really, really significant moments in the Lord's life when uh, he began his ministry and he went out to the desert and um, at the end of that time he was tempted of the devil. And he had to make three pretty strong decisions that would shape his, his ministry. And if he didn't make the right decision at that time, then we wouldn't be here today. And so there are some decisions that we cannot, um, we need to make the right decision. They're big decisions in our, in our life. But in verse 36, Matthew 26 and verse 36, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them into the place called Gethsemane, and he said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Now that's a, an interesting way to describe the Lord, to be sorrowful and very heavy. I don't think anywhere else in the scriptures I've done a great you know, uh, uh, study on it, but I never, you know, we never visualize the Lord as being you know, sorrowful and very heavy. So this is a real moment for the Lord uh, where he is pressed and put under pressure and it's an example to us about how we make our decisions under the same pressure. In verse 38, and he said unto them, he says to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And so this is not the Lord having compassion, as we kind of uh, read many times through the scriptures, with Lazarus and when he saw his sisters weeping. This is a very different um, emotion that the Lord is going through. And in verse 39, he went a little further and he fell on his face, which says a lot, and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And so he's saying to his father, Lord, let it be your choice. Let it not be my choice. And he's asking because he knows that this is incredibly pivotal for the, you know, for the future of mankind. For, for humankind. And he says he comes uh, in, unto his disciples and he finds them sl- asleep. And he said unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? And so nobody really stood with him. And, and they're the decisions, the best decisions we make is when nobody is standing with us. And they're the biggest decisions we make in our life when there's no support for the stand we're about to make. And as a Christian, as the anointed, we are often put in that position. But we need to make the right decision, and we've got nobody in the grandstand cheering us on. But we know that the decision we need to make is the right one. 
because it's a matter of life and death. In verse 41, he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. He says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we really kind of resonate with that thought. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But the Lord gives us a little bit of insight that he felt that way too. Um, in verse 42, and he went away again a second time and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink of it, he says, I will be done. So now he accepts uh, what decision he needs to make, what is the right decision to make in the, in, a, in the sight of God and for the plan of God. And he says, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So that's the second time. Talking about being lonely. And then in verse 44, he left them and he went away again and he prayed the third time. That's isolation, isn't it? Saying the same words and he comes to his disciples. He said unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. He's now accepted what he needs to do. As hard as it is, as heavy as it is, as sorrowful as he feels, he knows what is the right decision to make. And nobody stood with him. He says, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. He says, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. So he is fully aware of actually what's happening around him. And you've just got to really appreciate um, the love he has for us. Nobody stood with us. We weren't there cheering him on. Could you imagine you could uh, almost, uh, like when you get, not that any of us have bad examples, let's say when you're getting you know, interviewed by the police and there's someone watching behind the window, but hopefully none of you have been there recently. But um, could you imagine you being on the other side of the window and just watching this scene of Gethsemane and understanding, you know, you know, cheering for the Lord, but having this real thought as to, you know, he, we're cheering for him because if he doesn't make the right decision, then we are doomed. We have no future. He's making a decision on our behalf. That's, the decision. That's how big the decision is. He's looking into the future and he's making a decision for us in the garden. Could you imagine just sitting behind a window and just watching the scene of the garden, just sitting there watching the, you know, the dialogue, the heartbreak, the isolation, you know, the kind of the, the war in the mind about, about what he's about to go through and he's going through that whole thing for us. And... In, in, you know, when I stop talking, we're going to have a time of communion. And it's good to kind of visu- visualize yourself watching that scene. Nobody standing with this man and he is pouring out his life, you know, for us. Um, and, and such is the love that the Lord has for us. You know, did he have options? You know, in verse 53 he says, think thou, thinkest thou that I cannot uh, pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. So the, the Lord's kind of saying to us, um, he's saying to us, I had, I had choices, I had, I had options. I didn't have to do it. And that's not a bad way of saying it, because the Lord wanted to do it, but he's saying, I had options. But even in a standing alone and, and no one cheering for me and no one supporting me, I still made the, you know, the right decision for you. I made the right decision for you. And, and the Lord calls, and uh, he calls us to be the same way. We're filled with his spirit. We're filled with the same power. And though he, no one stands with us, but we know the decision we need to make. The Lord says the blessing in his making the right decision that pleases the Lord. And it says in verse 54, but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled 
that thus it must be. And so uh, he was just resolved that this is the right thing to do and I will, and I will do it. Um, and I think about this decision of life and death and uh, the Lord make, you know, we talk about the decisions that shape our lives. This is, you know, the greatest kind of decision that was made for us that, you know, that shapes the most part of our life was the garden. And, um, you know, you can make decisions that, uh, uh, menial decisions that shape your life, but there's no greater shaping of your life than a choice between life and death. And the Lord chose for us in the garden, he chose life for us. That's what he chose for us. He looked ahead, he, uh, he looked at our value, and the value wasn't very high, let me tell you. And still, such, such love he has for us that we can, we, ha- we can tap into it, but sometimes we find it hard to understand. He says, I am going to choose life for them. I'm not going to look at my other options. There is no option. The option is I must give life to these people. And so the Lord goes through and he, and he goes to the cross and, and he dies. And so, you know, for us, we can't be naive. You know, in the, we just read, uh, just sung Amazing Grace, and there was one there, and it says, Grace, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. It's a pretty powerful line, you know, that kind of, if you, if you want to get yourself, you know, grounded and, um, and you want to get a realistic look at life and have the right perspective on life, you've got to look through this window at Gethsemane and understand what happened at Gethsemane for you. You want to kind of uh, get the right perspective, understanding where does it all, all lie and what's valuable in my life and what isn't valuable in my life. Look what this man, the decision he made for us, that he, he kind of gave us life. And not to, you know, we live in, a, in a, a generation that we just feel the opportunity should be given to us. But, you know, we, sometimes we do get opportunities given to us, but no greater opportunity than be given life and eternal life. And that, opportunity was given to us you know by the lord and so we need to kind of be careful sometimes that it was grace that taught my heart to fear who can understand um who can respect the lord and love the lord without actually receiving the holy spirit without actually understanding getting that kind of the right perspective on um how feeble i am and how temporal i am and and uh, really what value i have and how did this man how much love did this man give me that he made me valuable, valuable enough to die for me, uh, valuable enough to kind of take all, all of my sins upon him. Um, and nobody actually was with him when he made that decision. He did it um, alone and by himself. And so um, we kind of need to be careful about um, we in the generation that we kind of live in that uh, we weigh up all of our options and we listen to every opinion. And... Um, and it get, and it confuses us. It confuses us more than anything. And for the Lord, or he had two choices to make. I either die or I call for the angels. I either give these people life or I give them death. It wasn't any more complicated than that. He didn't bring any more, he didn't bring any other options into it. I either going to make a decision that pleases the Lord or I'm, I'm going to forget the Lord and do what I want. I'm going to serve the flesh and do what I want. And so, um, even in Christianity these days, you know, the words of Jesus is just another opinion. And that is a sad part of modern day Christianity. These, you know, the words of Jesus, they're written in red in my Bible, but that's just another opinion. They don't kind of carry a weight that if it's in red, 
then it means there is absolutely no negotiation. This man died for me. This man chose life for me. So if I see it in red, it, it kind of ends a conversation. It ends a debate. Because Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Now you can talk for days and that can end a conversation. And that's how it should be in Christianity. We can debate for days, but as soon as it's written in red, it ends the debate. And we all just fall in line. Um, just as the Lord, you know, uh, disciplined himself and fell in line for, for us. Um, so anyway, let's turn to a couple of other scriptures here. So the challenge has been throughout all the generations about making the right decision and making the right choice. Elijah, in his time, and maybe I'll just, I'll just read it out, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah came unto the people and said, How long hold you between two opinions? He says, If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And so there's only two choices. And, and, and through the scriptures, there's many of those types of scriptures. Even the Lord said, and in Matthew 6, says, No man can serve two masters. It says he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. It says you cannot serve God and mammon, God and evil, or the natural things. And we are called daily as the light of the world, as the salt of the world, to um, for our decisions to glorify God, for our decisions to be you know to bring God the glory. Um, yeah. Deuteronomy 30, maybe we'll go there. Deuteronomy 30. And maybe keep your hand in this uh, scripture as well. We're going to come back to it as well. It's a a famous one, if you're not there. It says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. So this is a real moment to kind of say that, uh, it's uh, in verse 19, sorry. Deuteronomy 30 in verse 19. There's one of those real pivotal moments where uh, it's almost like I press my recorder and then I begin the speech like this, taking a bit of a testimony, like I'm uh, taking an account of what was said. And this is what kind of happened in Deuteronomy 30. It says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I've set before you life and death by the decisions you make. Blessing or cursing? Blessing or cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. And uh, and that moment happens to us every time we come here on a Sunday. This is serious business. This is life or death. And uh, there are some that would say that uh, our, your attendance is not a good gauge of where things are at. But could you imagine the Lord not uh, attending the Gethsemane appointment, the Gethsemane meeting? He would say that things would look very differently now. I know early on, when I, when I was an unbeliever and I was, as you probably heard, you know, kicking things across the room and, and had no understanding about who the Lord was and speaking in tongues and water and fire and, you know, know, the vogue and revival, all those words were foreign to me. I had a testimony in front of me that never kind of, he, he never neglected the assembling, you know, of the, uh, the saints together. You know, uh, I had a, a really clear, um, you know, clear illustration of how valuable this thing is, this thing called life, this thing called filled with the Holy Spirit is. I didn't understand all the, all the concept of it. I knew it was a waste of time inviting my brother to a 
and a uh, kind of appointment on a Sunday. It was a waste of my breath. I just embarrassed myself by actually saying it because it was so clear that uh, whatever happened at 1.30 at the Vogue Theatre was so valuable that it was a waste of my time even trying to say anything against it or even kind of say, do you want to go and do this or go and do that? I, it would be embarrassing on my part to even to speak those words. And so um, there's some things that we do and the decisions that we make that... Uh, you don't need to get the scriptures out to explain, um, you know, to, to the people that you're trying to talk to, but by your actions and by your attendance, you go to the place where you think is the most valuable. And, uh, and I had that in my, early on in my walk. And then later on, I became inquisitive as to how does he put such a great value on this getting together? I mean, how special could the meeting be? And uh, later on, I found out that, wow, this is powerful. This is life changing. This is a pivotal, you know, uh, moment in my life. And so, um, and so we look at those testimonies and testimonies encourage us to make the right decision. Testimonies show us whether this thing is valuable or it actually goes into the second tier. You can really understand what, you know, how people, what priority people put on their walk by having a no negotiation. I'm going to the meeting because at the meeting the Lord has something ready for me and I'm not missing out if the Lord has something ready for me. But in Joshua 24, there was another one of these great scriptures about somebody standing up, isolated, and making a strong decision about what he feels, you know, his conviction of what the decision he wants to make for him and his family. And we, and we know it well when it comes a little bit later on in verse 15. But I want to read from, from verse 1, um, the lead up to saying something so pivotal, so big. You know, there's, there's some moments in the scriptures where you think, oh, I'd love to get in a, in a, to a time in my walk where I can stand up and make such a big decision because of the love I have for the Lord. And, uh, and the Lord will give you those moments. And if you take those big moments and make those big decisions, then the Lord says, blessing shall follow you. Life and blessing shall follow you. But in, in verse 1, it says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges, account, not their actual head, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. In verse 2, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, and he starts to, he starts to go through the testimony of God. And what I'm going to try and get out of this kind of passage of Scripture is that let the testimony of God help you make good decisions, decisions that please God. Um, and if you're even new here to, today for the first time, I know some of you have heard the testimony of the church about the body of Christ, and that's why you're here and uh, ready to make a decision about what you're going to do about you know, uh, hearing the word of God and, and the things that we've presented today. But it says here, in verse 2, it says, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So he's going over the history even of Abraham, and um, and it says here, And he took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed, and he gave him Isaac. And then it says in verse 4, And they gave unto you Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and they gave unto Esau Mount Seir. So he says, this is the, this is the testimony. We, we know the testimony of the Lord in the garden, but let's go before the garden about this, the, the reputation of God and the testimony of God. He says, even your fathers that served other gods, I brought them from the other side of the flood and I gave them a place with me at my table. And he goes on, 
And then he says, and there was, uh, at the end he says, and then there was Egypt. You could just imagine the Lord speaking, you know, saying, let's, let's talk about Egypt, what I did there. And it says, I sent Moses, also Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And he says, and afterwards I brought you out. So understand that I'm on your side. I've, I've made a future for you. In verse 7, it says, And when they cried unto the Lord, when you cried unto me, it says here, he says, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And so when we kind of feel that it's too, it's a too big a decision to make, it's too hard to make, go back into your testimony. Lord, how you healed me. Lord, how you delivered me. Lord, how you loved me, how you died for me. It's easier to make a good decision to serve the Lord. We'll keep reading um, through verse 9. It says, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. And he says, But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. We'll go one more. Verse 11, And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. In verse 12, and he says, And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out before you. And he goes, Even the two kings of the Amorites. So he's saying, There is no doubt that I love you. And to make the right decision to love me and to serve me is not a hard decision. And these are real personal kind of moments, just like the, we heard from, you know, Peter earlier on in the meeting, you know. You know, thinking about, you know, that moment when the quiver came, the, the skip of the lips as we were just about to receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we all can remember back that time as to uh, when our voice skipped a syllable and all of a sudden the kingdom of heaven opened. And this is what the, the Lord is saying to me, that you don't have, you know, let's not even talk about Old Testament. Let's look at your personal testimony, what I have done for you, the language I have given you the relationship we have between each other, go back to that moment when you skip the syllable and then the kingdom of God opened up in your heart, in your mind. It's not too hard to make the right decisions. And the Lord, not that the Lord has um, self-belief issues or uh, I don't know what, what they call it. He's, uh, you know, he just needs to be loved. But the Lord loves us and the Lord knows what's best for us. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was my experience that kind of it taught me that this is serious business. This is life and death. I need to make the right decision. I need to make the right stand. And at the end of this, in verse 15, oh, sorry, verse 13, it says, I've given you a land for which you did not labor. And we can say amen to that. And cities which you built not, and you dwell in them, and of vineyards and olive yards which you planted not, uh, not do you eat. It says, now for fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and in truth. Be honest about your walk. Don't fake yourself out. Don't, um, don't trust in the way you look because time will teach you. Time will teach you that um, it was a bad investment and I missed out on all this time of faithfulness and making the right decisions. And my relationship suffers because of what I trusted in. And it says, And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and it says, And serve ye the Lord. And then we have this great verse in verse 15. And if it seem evil or wrong unto you to serve the Lord, will choose you this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, how we began, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Remember that? You want to go back? I delivered you this land to people that dwelt here. You're going to go back and serve them, the ones that I overcame? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My decision is, even if I stand alone and nobody is with me, and no one's cheering, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. I will make the the right decision. Matthew 16. Let's go to there. And in verse 8. We took an Old Testament example and um, about making the right decision by the things that you've experienced, by the testimony that God has given you. And, uh, and making this one here is more about making a decision about how you see Jesus, you know, how you personally see Jesus. Not other people's opinions. What is your opinion about Jesus? How powerful is the Lord to you? Not what your, not what your friends, what value your friends put on Jesus. What value do you put on Jesus? And that's a decision you've got to make individually. And the Lord says here, um, in verse 8, which when Jesus perceived, which is just picking up in a, an awkward position, um, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves? And the Lord is saying, why halt you between two opinions? There's a little bit of, you know, and he goes, because I brought no bread, and then he goes on to talk about spiritual things. Verse 9, do you not understand that um, neither remember the five loaves and the, and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Can't you remember that testimony? That's what I showed you. Neither the seven loaves and the 4,000 people I fed and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you don't understand uh, that I spake it not to you concerning the bread, the natural things, but that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood uh, they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, the natural things, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we live in a, an unusual world. There's a there's an undercurrent of evil, but to kind of go and grab one person and say you're the evil one, you're the one causing all the trouble. The evil was almost hidden. You can't kind of. Uh, it's not like you got a hole in the bucket and you you find the hole and you plug the bucket. It's an undercurrent of just evil in this in this earth. And to try and go and find someone to hold absolutely accountable to it and to deal with it, we can't. But there is this voice that just runs under, you know, all of our society um, that just gives us unlimited choice. Who's that whose voice is that? Just gives us so many choices that you know, if you just give me two, I've got a fifty percent chance. But if you give me 50, then I've got a 2% chance. So I think it's worse than that. My math's not the greatest in probability. But if you give me 50 choices, there's a very good choice I'm going to make the wrong decision. But who's, make, who's giving us all these choices? Who's giving us all these opinions? Who's confusing us? It's just, you know, it's just the society that we live in. You know, um, we used to be a bit, you know, thicker skinned. And if you, I was just doing a little bit of a study this week about, you know, the, the, you know, the, the conversation or the relationship between, you know, Peter and the Lord. How many times the Lord got stuck into Peter? But Peter didn't kind of take his ball and go home. He hung around. Because, you know, in one part he says, where else am I going to go? You have the words to eternal life. I'm a bit stuck. 
you have the truth. And, you know, but, and, but the Lord got stuck into him so many times, you know. The Lord brings out like a, you know, a, a towel to wipe the feet of the other disciples. Peter thinks he's doing the right thing. He goes there to grab the towel and says, I'll do it for you. And he says, if you don't let me do this, Peter, you have no, no part of me. That's pretty, that's pretty straight. But the Lord is trying to teach him a spiritual thing to get him prepared for the right decisions, to be able to make the right decisions. And, uh, and even this passage of scripture, it ends, it starts well, ends badly, but Peter didn't leave. And even, you know, we read him at the end of John when, uh, you know, the Lord's getting pretty strong with Peter saying, do you love me? Are you going to make the right decision? Are you going to care for my sheep? And then Peter gets a little bit in the, in the flesh and says, how about him? And the Lord says, don't worry about him. Worry about yourself. But Peter doesn't leave. He's thick skinned. And I think we've been, we need to be, uh, I think we need to work on being a bit thicker skinned. This undercurrent, this voice, now there's a fence. If you speak anything up against, you know, um, people's choices of how they like to get married or people's choices of how they see this view or, you know, you know, where, uh, you'd be like shouted down. How dare you judge them? And then so we kind of think, well, well, openly, then let's just talk about the Lord. That's another topic. Let's talk about the Lord then. The Lord of a sudden, this, this door comes down. This concrete shutter comes down. Bang. And you kind of think, this only works for you. So who you start to get an understanding of actually who is this voice, this undercurrent. You know, um, now, the, now we get offended about how far away we were from each other. You're within my 1.5. Step away. My 1.5. But all these, we've just got to be careful that we need to obey the laws of the land, but not to be easily offended. Not to be easily, that's, you know, it's a way to kind of distract us. You know, in a, I guess, in an art of war, I've done a bit of reading this, but in the art of war, you know, they send a decoy. You know, if you're back in the old day, when they used to come clashing together, you know, like madmen, they would send a decoy around the back and they'd go, oh, look, there's a, there's a, you know, branch of people go around the back, let's go chase them. And then the main army comes straight through the middle as we run the decoy. And we need to be careful that there's not a spiritual decoy being run for us. And we kind of think, you know, that's a nice, that's a nice shot on Instagram. I like to make one just the same. And so we go running off this way and we look behind us and, oh, what's that, what's that big light in the sky? That's the Lord. He's back. So we've got to be a little bit, little bit careful about the decisions we make. That are my decisions pleasing in the, in the Lord's you know, uh, sight? Is the Lord well pleased with the things that I'm doing anyway? I'm kind of where, what scripture do I get up to? I've lost all that. I don't know where. Uh, I think it was verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of um, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, "Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am?" And this is a very personal question. Who do men say that I am? And they said, some say that they are John the Baptist. One opinion. Some say Elias. Another opinion. And others, Jeremiah, the third opinion. Or one of the prophets, fourth to the hundredth opinion. There's a few prophets there. Maybe not that many prophets, but maybe another 20 or so. And then verse 15. And he saith unto them, but who say ye that I am? Don't worry about the opinions of men. To you, who am I to you? What's your opinion? Is your, is, am I one of your opinions or am, I, or am I the only opinion that you have? 
And then Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. When we make the right decisions, when we put God front and centre, priority in our life, then spiritual revelation is given to us. And it's the spiritual things that set us free. The spiritual things that set our heart free. It's the spiritual things that give us comfort in bad situations. You know, when we get our time of being heavy and, and, and great sorrow, it's the spiritual things that help us. You know, the problem generally would stay there at times. And so what happens is God takes us to another place spiritually that we, he puts more hope in our tank than there is fear. And we get through the, we get through that moment for that reason. That the Lord says, how big's the tank? Well, my sorrow is this big. The Lord says, I've got a couple of liters extra than that. Let me pour it in. And he puts, and he turns our sorrow into hope for us. And then verse 24, then said Jesus to his disciples, if any man will come after me, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life will lose it. If you don't make the right decisions, you will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my name's sake shall find it. And then verse 26, he says here, for what, um, is, for what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you going to sell out to? The Lord is saying, I mean, this is, these are pretty strong words. In the modern day, this, this conversation would have ended, you know, 25 scriptures ago in this, in this chapter. But for us, we stick around because we're made of something. The Lord has made us something strong. He's placed us on a strong foundation. We can take it. We can handle it. We're not easily offended. We're, we're going to be there in the end. You keep your hand in Deuteronomy? Maybe not. We're going to go back there. Verse 20, just to finish off. And so the Lord asks Peter a very personal question. And, he, and he's really asking Peter, am I everything in your life? You know, is there anything else in your life but me type of thing? Is there anything more important than me in your life? And, and Peter said to him, no, Lord, you are. You're it. You're everything. Every decision I make, I can see your face. Every decision I make, I can I recount the testimony of what you've done for me. And... Uh, and Peter made some doozies, but he, he, he got back on track. But I think, uh, to give Peter a bit of credit, I think he did it for our learning more than anything. Because if he hadn't made those mistakes, then we kind of think we're out of the game. But praise the Lord for Peter and his bad decisions, because he made them good eventually. Um, in Deuteronomy verse 20, it says there, says um, that we read that great scripture, because in verse 20, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him. And it says, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to give them. And so last scripture, we're going to go to Joel chapter 3, just to finish off here. So we've all got to make it, you know, every, you know, every day we've got to make a decision. And I think Luke touched on that last Sunday, the second meeting about repentance. We've got to make a decision about whose opinion are we following? And, and how, how are my, you know, choices and my decisions being influenced? Who's influencing my decisions? And it has to be the Lord. And even if you're new here today, um, in the Lord calls us to be born again, to be filled with His Spirit. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
unless you repent from your old way of life, unless you, you trade in all of your opinions and take on the opinion of God, unless you kind of follow after everything written in red, and you know, the Lord says, you have no place in my kingdom. And he says that we must be baptized, we must bury our old way of life, and he will fill us with the Holy Spirit. We must, he, you know, he must be the, the sun as the, as the star and, and the sun as the, as the son of God in our life, the center of our universe. He must be at the center of it all. But in Joel 3, he says, and this is a prophecy about the final judgment, um, about the Armageddon, the final battle. And verse 11 says, assemble yourselves and come all you heathen. And gather yourselves together round about. It says, thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. And he says, and let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. About the decisions we made. He says, put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come ye, uh, come get ye down, for the press is full and fats overflow, for the wickedness is great. The Lord is saying there's something a brewing here. There's a brew on. There's an undercurrent. Something's up. Something's just about to end. An era is about to end. Come you down and stand and be ready to make a decision. The Lord is saying he's about to pass his final judgment upon us. And it says here, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. It says, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And so the Lord is saying to us now that uh, this week matters. The decisions that we make this week are either going to draw us you know, into life, into blessing, or uh, they're going to take us into captivity and death. And we need to, uh, you know, in, I think it's in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not into our own understanding. Don't worry about your opinion. Your opinion won't get you the kingdom of God. Christ's opinion will get the kingdom of God. You know, it says, you know, trust in the Lord all, all, the, all the heart and lead not to an understanding, but it says, uh, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. And he will be, he'll direct your path. He'll give you the direction that you need to take. Not the people said. Amen.